Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Welcome, Chiefs Kingdom, to another edition of the Out of Structure Podcast on the Arrowhead Pride Podcast Network. I'm Matt Stagner here with RKJ. Ron, how are you this week? I'm good. Preseason football is upon us. There's stuff to react to, so we're going to get into that. But I'll let you kind of keep going on uh, what we got going on today. Break, break it down for us. <laughs> yeah, you know, normally we do a mailbag and, and a few other segments, but there's finally enough Chiefs news to talk about. We thought we would just run through what we saw from the first preseason game, uh, updates from snap counts and depth charts that have been released, and the news coming out of camp already today with today's practice. There's already some things uh, going on that we can talk about. And the first roster cuts have happened already this morning. So a lot to talk about, Ron. Let's just get right into it. What are you seeing from today's practice so far? Well, I think the big thing from today's practice, although it's not a new thing, uh, Frank Clark left the field. He was limping off towards the medical tent and then eventually walked up the hill. Uh, And, you know, he had that hamstring injury that held him out of the preseason week one. So that's not good. Hamstring injuries, you know, soft tissue stuff early in training camp. You know, you can kind of excuse it maybe, you know, they're just getting back. But, hey, we're getting closer and closer now. Training camp actually ends this week. um, And you got only two more preseason games. So never good to keep seeing that kind of recurring. Mike Dana did step up in his place on the first team defense, according to Pete our guy Pete Sweeney on the on the beat at practice. So, yeah, that, that was really the only significant thing from practice, unless you had a, a few more things to put onto that. Well, significantly insignificant would be the way they're rotating everybody into first-team reps. I think we've, we've spent a lot of time trying to analyze who's getting first-team snaps in practice, and the coaches have finally started to come out this last week or two and talk about how that really doesn't matter. So, we're seeing a lot of different players rotating with the ones. I saw Zane Anderson uh, getting some first-team snaps at safety. Um, sometimes it feels like the coaches are just trolling us a little bit. But I really think this is a just a process of getting different looks at different players and different combinations with the first, second, and third team. And we probably shouldn't read too much into any of the, the snaps, the snap counts when it comes to practice, or really even preseason games at this point, because they're just going to mix it up. Yeah, and the other thing with that is, like, these young players, these guys that we probably can can almost guarantee they're not going to make the roster, you know, they only get them for a certain amount of time, the, the Chiefs do, and they're going to cut them eventually. You're going to have a two-week period between the last of the preseason and week one to, to really practice with the guys that you have on the team. So this is a good time to, to test those younger guys out that you might think have – a certain skill or just you want to see them around the first team defense. You want to kind of see them instead of playing with a bunch of guys that aren't going to make the team, you know, have them play around good players and then see how they fit in as, as someone that may not make the team. 
and see if they can prove themselves at all. So, yeah, I, I think I think it's a it's good. It's it's a smart thing for the team to do to kind of just uh, make sure they're getting all the looks they can at all these young guys. The exception of that might be the offensive line where continuity is so important. They've really been pretty stable in how they've assigned those reps for the most part. But other parts of the team, especially like the defensive backfield, uh, running backs, receivers, they're just rotating those guys in in all kinds of different ways with different combinations, because you're right. You don't know the responsibilities on every single play. And if you're trying to get film on a guy, if he's at corner and he's playing with a safety who never gives the never gets to the right position or doesn't give the right amount of help, that corner is going to look much worse than he otherwise would. So by rotating, you can see maybe isolate which one of them is doing what he's supposed to do and which one is maybe uh, uh, hampering his teammates ability. Yeah, and I think that especially makes sense for the defensive back position, right? If you're a corner or a safety, you know, uh, let's say you're you're a corner that, you know, in the preseason games, you're 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 playing with the third team safety, so he's not helping you over the top as much as maybe a Tyron Matthew or a, a Sorensen would. So, yeah, I think defensive backs, and that's why we're seeing so so much different rotation. And like you kind of mentioned, Andy Reid did explicitly say, "Don't look into the fact that you know, like a Juan Thornhill's taking a third team." snaps on uh, on monday uh as as i freaked out about in, in the dm stags as you can attest to i didn't freak out i guess i just it is notable and I, and a lot of people on twitter were taking note of it but uh like we're all kind of talking about here there's not much to take away from that but we'll get into thornhill a little later too yeah the, about the time that you react to it then you see him on the first team again so it's exactly <laughs> it's really uh, because there's nothing else to talk about it is notable at least at the time and you want to think okay did the way somebody played in the game affect how they're seen by the team uh in this week coming up and maybe there's some players that performed well in the first preseason game that are going to get some more snaps they're going to get some more run they want to get a better look at them um we do see for the first time the league doing something a little different this year and the way they're setting the roster cut deadlines so today was the deadline to cut down from 90 to 85 players. And then next week, they'll take another five off before getting to the, the final initial 53-man roster on uh, the 31st of the month. So those transactions were announced this morning. Any big surprises or takeaways off of that list, Ron? Well, the only significant name, in my opinion, is Antonio Callaway, who was injured. They waived him with an injury designation, I believe. And and he had that bone bruise, which, you know, bone bruise sounds pretty painful. It's not something that he can't come back from. But, you know, it probably is something that just hurt his chances to show off in training camp. And and guys like Marcus Kemp stepped up and and looked to, to kind of take control of that sixth receiver spot, although there's other guys fighting for it as well. So just about availability. And, you know, it's at, at some point, you know, the Chiefs have good receivers. You know, they they need to probably start thinking about a little more special teams ability uh, with the guys they're going to keep. And Callaway did not bring that. So, yeah, not too making, significant. Him making the roster would have been an exception to the rule. As, yes. as a fifth or sixth wide receiver, you assume it's a special teams player. You assume it's a, a rookie or a young player, at least. And we thought that he had a chance early on just because he's got some proven NFL ability and he's, he's put some, some tape out there in previous seasons that, that showed that he could do the job. And so he was an intriguing player early on, but right when he got hurt, you know, that's about the same time the other players, the other young receivers started emerging. And we noted at that time, 
that was really bad timing for him. It really could affect his ability to make the roster, and it sure appears to be the case. They did release him with an injury designation, which means he'll revert to IR, but there's already reports out there that when that happens, they'll have an injury settlement and, and he'll be off the roster and, and free to sign somewhere else when he's healthy. So Antonio Callaway does not appear to be in the team's plans this season. Uh, the other names, also some injured players, but um, Manny Patterson, uh, defensive back, was an uh, undrafted free agent this season. Chad Williams, wide receiver. Evan Bayless, a tight end. And uh, Elijah McGuire, the running back, was actually put on IR. So the rest of them were released or released with an injury designation. McGuire was put on injured reserve now, which if you know the rules of the, the roster setup, if you put somebody on IR during the regular season or after the initial roster cuts, after the 53, then they can return from IR in a, in a short number of weeks now. But if you put somebody on IR now, they're on IR for the whole season. So uh, McGuire's season is over, but he may get another chance with the Chiefs next year if they if they decide to keep him on IR the, the whole season. That's the only other notable – the way they structured those transactions is the other guys are probably, you know, pretty much their Chiefs career is over. They'll move on to other places. McGuire may be a guy – that's going to set out this year and then have a chance uh, to make the roster next year. Yeah. He's, he's stuck around, hasn't he? A few years uh, he's been around this team. So it's probably just one of those things where, you know, they like having familiarity in, in training camp, you know, guys that can, you know, eat snaps and, and, and know the offense. So yeah, he'll, he'll stick around. Um, I, I do want to say before we move on, I just thought it was funny. Chad Williams, you know, he got cut and, and his only opportunity, it seemed, I think he did get another catch, but his only opportunity, his only other opportunity on, on Saturday, he was open on a sideline route, and uh, uh, Anthony Gordon, I believe, just threw it right at his feet. And and you can see the frustration because when you're when you're in his position as Chad Williams, man, you don't get a lot of reps, a lot of opportunities to catch the ball and make a play and, and show a team that you know you you can make the roster. So I, I could see why he'd be a lot a, a very frustrated about that. But that just stuck out to me that that was really the only chance he got, and and now he's not on the team. Well, that goes back to what we were just talking about with the way they're rotating different uh, personnel groups and players on different levels. Maybe a guy like that would get opportunities with, you know, the first team or the second team, just so that you can see when given the opportunity, when the quarterback puts the ball where it's supposed to be, that they have a good shot at it. And we saw that with some of the the wide receivers in Saturday's game and the way that they're rotating them around camp uh, today as well. Yes. Yeah. So we'll move on and start talking about the game a little more. We'll start out with the snap counts. Well, first of all, Chiefs won 1916, as, as that obviously matters. Uh, you know, Shane Bouchelle came in the clutch and and won the game for him uh, last minute. But uh, no, preseason week one, obviously, we're just going to talk about the stuff we can kind of react to, you know, seeing them for the first time live game. And we'll go into their snap counts a little bit because I do think it is interesting that Jody Fortson led the entire offensive skill positions and snaps. I think they just really wanted to see a lot of him and, and, and see what he can do, both as a receiver and a blocker, now that he's playing his new position at tight end. And Noah Gray also was right behind him. So those two got a lot of, lot of chances to kind of show off what they can do. And uh, that, that, that's important, right? Because I, I think the tight end battle is, is very open, as we'll get into. But also, I think it's important to note that Joshua Kando he got 70% of the defensive snaps all night, and, and he started playing from the second drive of, of the first-team defense. He got in on a snap, and, and he played all the way through the fourth quarter. 
And, uh, you know, I, I know you have a little more on this, but from what I saw, he, he had some, some burst off the edge for sure, in which we all kind of know he does. Um, and, and, and didn't really do much besides that, though. It, it, there wasn't really any pass rush moves to speak of. There wasn't really any success in the pass rush sense that we can speak of. But I just think they wanted to get him a lot of snaps, give him a, give him a good look, and, and they did because he by far led the entire defense in snaps. What else did you see from Kando? So it does make some sense that on Kando, they're going to give him as many reps as possible. He's a player that is known to need some development. There were some questions about how he was coached in college, uh, in the college ranks. And so certainly giving him a lot of reps during this preseason, I imagine that'll continue. I imagine the next game, he'll also be among the leaders in snap counts from the edge position. That is a demanding position and it, it does require, you know, not just pass rush ability, but also the ability to stop the run, to hold up against the edge, to, make quick decisions, you know, when the offense puts you in a position where you have to make a choice, where you're either, you're either going inside or outside and or you're making a decision on who on where you're going. So the offense put Kando in some of those positions, and I did see some cut-ups of Kando's uh, work against the run or against short passes on the running back. And it looks like there was at least a couple instances, I'm not saying it's a widespread problem, but there's a couple instances where – he struggled to set the edge or he lost contain and allowed a big run or a big gain to go to his side uh, because he got sucked up inside when the run bounced outside. So there's, there is a little bit of development there. Uh, he's going to have those moments. I think it's to be expected. So definitely don't think we need to be down on Josh Kando uh, or talk about him being on the roster bubble or anything like that. I don't see that. I just see a young player who needs and is getting a lot of run in the preseason for a chance to develop. Yes. And I do think that's why we all kind of had the expectations all off season, but he just, he's just going to be a situational guy. He's going to be a guy that they throw in there, you know, fresh legs to, to give a tackle that's been, you know, playing the entire game, you know, give him, you know, a new, uh, a fresh, fresh guy that has more energy maybe than, than a guy that's been playing all game and, and like a Clark or a Charlton, you know, he, He's going to be a very spotty player where he's only really used in spots uh, this year, but it is good that they're giving him a lot of time in the preseason. I reflect that opinion of yours. So do we want to move on to talking about the first team offensive line is a very important uh, piece of discussion. Obviously all off season we've been dreaming and, uh, you know, drooling over the fact that the chiefs turned it over and, and got some guys like Orlando Brown, obviously Joe Tooney, obviously, but just, you know, Trey Smith, you know, we've, from the draft, we knew, hey, this could be a steal. And, and man, did he look like it in the first game, I would say. Also, Lucas Niang getting good snaps. So let's go in, into all that. I'll, I'll kind of start it off by just saying, I think the running, the run blocking was good. I, I think the first drive actually with Mahomes in the game, obviously the 10-yard gain they had the first run, you know, they got a big push. And actually, if you see uh, Trey Smith actually bulldozed the defensive tackle inside of him, and it actually gave Clyde a really clear cutback lane. Um, but besides that, I think the second run of the game actually could have popped even more. Um, the, the offensive line actually blocked it very well. Uh, they, it, it was a counter run. Trey Smith pulls, kicks out the defensive end. Blake Bell is actually the one leading through the hole. And it actually looks like there's open grass to the outside, uh, you know, right off Bell's block in between Bell's uh, block and Brown's kick out. But Edward Tolaire kind of hits it inside of Bell's block instead and kind of just gets, you know, three or four yards instead of, you know, it looked like it could have been a big play. So, 
I say that to, to just get into the fact that the offensive line came out and, and kind of, you know, made uh, asserted their authority, I guess. in, in the first two plays, they, they really did block those two plays well. And uh, even down the line as well. But uh, yeah, I, I think, I think I was really impressed with what the limited sample we saw from the first team offensive line. Yeah. I think there's some, some guys that stood out there, Lucas Niang being one who got run at the first team offensive line on the, on the right side. We weren't sure if he was in there as a starter just because Remmers wasn't uh, healthy or if he's actually earned that job yet. But I think Saturday was a step in the right direction towards him earning that right tackle job. I think he did some good things. He saw some better movement skills out of him than we had seen before, or maybe than we anticipated, given that he's a mountain of a man at the right hand uh, at the right tackle position. So it was good to see Trey Smith uh, playing as advertised in his first live action. Lucas Niang maybe a little bit better than expected. Um, really overall, yeah, that first team offensive line looked competent. They got a, a longer look than just the four snaps that Mahomes was in for. Yeah, and I'm and that's a good point, and and I'm glad you brought that up because it is good that they didn't just go out when Mahomes went out. I I just think it would have been a waste of of them even going there, right? A waste of a travel, a waste of a plane ride. I mean, for the offensive line to only get four snaps together in a game situation, I'm really glad they stuck them in. You know, and they also had Clyde still in there and, and the receivers in as well. Mahomes was really the only one that went out. I think Kelsey uh, didn't really play the second drive either, but yeah, I I I'm glad and and to to the Niang point. Yeah, he he. The first run actually had a lot of space at the second level. Clyde did, because Niang got there so quick and actually shoved the linebacker good, pretty good. You know, back two or three yards. So, yeah, I think Niang did look good. I think you know, I think Brown. You know, he had some reps where you know it wasn't clean, um, but nothing nothing bad happened. I don't think any offensive lineman had a particularly bad rep. I will just say before we move on that. You know, Niang and Smith got an opportunity to work a stunt. Uh, you know, there was a stunt thrown at him on the first third down uh, play. Smith picked up the defensive end looping around really well. You know, he, he recognized it right away, blew him up kind of at the line of scrimmage, popped him pretty good. Niang kind of – he had some in, unbalanced footwork a little bit, and it actually allowed the, the defensive tackle that first stunted outside to kind of win in, to win inside and actually had a path at Mahomes. Mahomes just got rid of the ball pretty quick. So that's one thing I will say, you know, that that's just communication. I think, I think Smith might've recognized the stunt, but maybe he didn't communicate it to Niang right away. And I think that's maybe why Niang wasn't Cause if you know, the stunts coming, you stay close to your guard. So there's no seam for him to, to win. Cause you know, Smith is about to leave and take on the DN. So either it was just unbalanced footwork or, or miscommunication, but that was their first look at a stunt. So, you know, I will say Smith looked good. Niang looked like he knew what he was doing. Just maybe the footwork was just a little unbalanced. But, hey, like I said, first stunt they faced in a live game situation their entire NFL careers. You know, when you're, when you're starting two rookies side by side, you would imagine that stunts and blitzes might be um, something that's going to take them a little bit of time to pick up. And they're not going to be flawless in that regard. But surely didn't see any, any real challenges with that first team. Yes, San Francisco wasn't playing – some of their top defensive uh, pass yeah. rushers. So maybe they'll face a tougher test in the future, but for a first outing to get to the first on the field experience with this starting five all together, I don't know that you could have asked for much more than what we saw from the starting offensive line on Saturday night. So I was happy to see that. Now, I don't know that I would say the exact same thing for the second and third and fourth team offensive line, 
you know, we know that last season, what we saw was even with a good, or what we thought was a good starting lineup, depth can be an issue and you're going to go through injuries and you're going to go through offensive linemen in the course of a season, especially a season as long as the chief season should be with playoffs and Super Bowls in the picture. And so just as important as building a starting front five that uh, we're happy with really interested to see how they build the depth of the offensive line. And I think we definitely saw that the interior offensive line depth is probably ahead of the depth at tackle, especially noted that Mike Remmers was out with an injury. LDT didn't play, but with the guys who were in there, it looked like there was a pretty good drop off from the first team offensive line to the backups. There was no, I noticed that too. Uh, the, the quarterbacks behind Mahomes and Henny. Uh, I think Henny was out of there by then. Although I think Henny got sacked once too, but they were running for their lives a little bit. And so, yeah, that's never great to see. Um, the the tackles were kind of the culprit. So, like you kind of mentioned, PFF has that Wyatt Miller and Brian Brian Witzman were the two that gave up sacks. Although I think the quarterbacks got sacked more than that, so I'm not sure. Maybe they're not crediting. Uh, maybe they're crediting the quarterback with running into a sack. Maybe on on some of those two, which could always be the case. But yeah, I, I think I think. You got to mention, you did mention LDT and Remmers being out. That would have helped. I think the second team OL would have looked a little better with those guys in there. Uh, instead, you had guys like, uh, yeah, like I mentioned, Miller, Wyatt Miller, who's not going to make this team or anything. So, yeah, I, 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 I don't want to take too much away from that just because the two probably most important depth pieces for this season were the guys that, that didn't play. Although I still want to see what happens with LDT. I know he's, he's, he's hurt and his hand, you know, he's not going to be playing for a while, but I am curious to see, you know, how they handle that. I just can't imagine he wants to come back and and not start, you know. I, I I keep wanting to say that maybe there's there's some trade along the way that happens, but when you're hurt, you know, no one's going to trade for you. But that's a whole other topic. But, yeah, I, I, I think the, the, the first team OL was encouraging, and, and you hope the second team OL with the healthier guys can, can be a little more encouraging in the next game. So we saw Austin Blythe get in as the – was he the first center off the bench? Yes, and then Allegretti got some snaps too at center. And Allegretti seemed to play pretty well, and I, I think he carries forward from a fairly strong 2020 campaign. I think he's a player that with still some upside and, and some potential to make this roster and, and be some good depth. Did you see anything out of the other interior offensive linemen other than those two? You know, the only note I had written down that I noticed was on a third and short, uh, Andrew Wiley did it at right guard, did a pretty good job, you know, firing out Stonewall on the D tackle and Darwin was able to get the, the first down because of Wiley's uh, Stonewall of the defensive lineman. So yeah, it, it was a good block. I know it's, you know, depth and, and Wiley's actually been a starter. So if anything, Wiley has the advantage of, you know, kind of playing backups as a guy that's been starting in this league. But uh, yeah, besides that, no, I, I didn't notice anything else. All right. So we've noted a couple things so far from the first preseason game. One, the offensive line, you know, is a little bit top heavy and maybe a little bit uh, heavy on the interior. Uh, we talked a little bit about Josh Kano getting some extra run. We mentioned Noah Gray and, and Jody Fordson as well. Um, other players who were notable in their performances from Saturday night, I really think that the cornerback play was pretty solid. And it was really exciting to see Mike Hughes, first of all, take control of that job that he apparently has been given at least 
to date with that number three cornerback spot. Um, he did. A, I thought he did a nice job. And then Baker came in and got substantial snaps after that and really, really performed well also. So the Chiefs might have two former first-round picks at the cornerback position that are both going to be factors this year. Yeah, cornerback is where you want depth, right? So there's this is the best kind of competition you want. You want you want to have competition at your cornerback too, especially not you know not just not having a guy and trying to find someone to start, but having both guys that look like they could do it. Uh, Baker was exceptional on Saturday, had made a ton of plays. Actually, should have had a pick. I think there was another one that kind of went off his hands too, um, where he's playing underneath coverage and he he read the quarterback size well and and closed on the pass and and definitely should have intercepted it. But uh, yeah, I I I think it's still an open competition for sure. I think Baker has fallen by the wayside just a little bit in practice, just because I think the team has wanted to and they have given him a few off days. I think just you know you broke your leg last year. I mean you, you probably still need to kind of have some load management a little bit as you're getting back there. Um, so I think that's the main reason why Hughes is like cement has, has taken over right now as cornerback three, but it is far from over. In my opinion, I think this battle might go into the regular season and who knows, I think it could go game by game, whether which one of these guys is, is really that guy outside in the nickel formation. That's what I was just thinking is, is this even a competition or is this just a case of the chiefs have a bunch of guys now that they can rotate in and, and yeah. use different matchups. Maybe there is no competition per se between Hughes and Baker. Maybe both of them, are set up to have good seasons. And we already know that Jerry Sneed's going to really be the featured corner. And Charverius Ward is Charverius Ward. He's going to be there. He's a stable, yep. you know, reliable guy on the outside. And everybody else, they can plug and play, given the scenario, given the, the matchup, given the defense they want to play, the game plan, and the health of everybody else. It's good to have not just – uh, Baker and Hughes, who again both were very good on Saturday night, but also Rashad Fenton, who who played pretty well and and also is coming off of a strong year last year. Yeah, I, I've kind of said it this entire camp, but I've always I've I've been just kind of not shocked, I would say, but just Fenton played really well outside cornerback last year when he when he had to. He didn't have to play it all the time, but I I've mentioned it probably on the podcast before, but specifically that week four game against the Patriots, man. He had like four pass breakup and interception, and, and he looked really good outside. He was only playing outside that game. So I think he – maybe they already know what they have in Fenton at outside, and, and they're just really wanting him to focus on slot just in case something does happen and, and they need – because that's what he's been doing all camp is just backing up Snead in the slot. He's been running with the second team as a slot defender, not really getting a lot of run outside cornerback, although he did on Saturday in the preseason game. So I, I think Fenton just might be that guy that – he, he might be just as much in the competition, just not getting as many reps right now because they want to see it from Baker and Hughes and maybe Fenton. They already kind of know what they have. So, Hey, let's just have you work on slot where we where you know, we know you're probably might be more vital than if you're good on the outside. Tell you what, this is a good spot. Let's take a break here, uh, pay some bills and we'll come back with more observations from the first preseason game and other takes on the chiefs and potentially uh, another edition of bubble watch 2021 coming your way. After this break, we'll be right back. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, welcome back in to the Arrowhead Pride Out of Structure podcast on the Arrowhead Pride Podcast Network. Make sure you're checking out all our shows, but here we're reacting to preseason week one, and we're going to react to maybe the most exciting part of the game, if, if you're asking a lot of people, uh, in terms of the defensive line. They had a big game on Saturday. A lot of the depth pieces did, although Chris Jones had the sack in the first quarter as well. So yeah, guys like Tim Ward had two sacks. Colin Saunders stood out with getting pressure. Turk Wharton had a sack himself, actually stripped it. Uh, the Niners recovered, but there was a lot of good things to see from the defensive line stags. I was really encouraged, especially because when you think about how you want depth at defensive line, the guys that made plays on Saturday were all guys that aren't going to be out there on the first snap of the game. You know, they're, they're not starters. So what did you see from the defensive line and, and how are you feeling about it? Yeah, it, it was a lot of fun to watch and, and really exciting, especially because Frank Clark was out. So you've got yeah. arguably your best, well, it should be your best pass rusher, your best outside player, and he misses the game. And the guys coming in behind him, starting with Mike Dana, were fantastic. And I thought Dana was really active. He was uh, aggressive. Dana was disruptive. I mean, the thing about him is he just plays really hard all the way through the whistle He's going to get a lot of hustle plays made this season. Yes. And he looked good inside, outside, wherever he was, was working. I thought Mike Dana had a really good debut for this season. Yeah, Dana is a guy that I, I, the more I think about it, the more he's he's an underrated key to this team. I mean, he's, he's a guy that's really going to help this team. He's a consistent presence. You know, Frank Clark, you know, we don't know about him right now in terms of injury and just we know his illness history a little bit, too you know, Dana's going to have to step up at times and, and he played really well for rookie last year. And it looks like he's continuing. I actually saw him uh, line up on the interior one snap as well. So they're going to try test that out a little bit in certain packages, but besides Dana, I, I really like what I saw from, from the interior guys that I already mentioned, Colin Saunders and Turk Wharton. Both of them seem to be really disruptive. Colin Saunders, actually, he started with the defense because Naughty uh, did not, uh, play Saturday and so Saunders is actually the starting one tech alongside Jaron Reed but Saunders actually played like the entire first half and and that was good I, I like that they're giving him a lot of run because he didn't play last year a lot you know that injury kind of screwed him at the beginning of the season and he's motivated man and I think he's a guy that could really be an x-factor as well like I kind of said with Dana you know Saunders if, if he can be that guy that can stuff runs and also give some juice in the pass rush as well which that's what he was showing on Saturday man, this defensive tackle group is about as deep as it gets when you factor in Chris Jones as a pass rusher as well and, and Naughty as a run stuffer. You know, you just have so many different things you can do with these defensive tackles, and, and I'm excited. I'm excited to see both of those guys kind of take a step forward, Warden and Saunders. Hey, I, I don't mind admitting when I'm wrong, and in fact, I'm pretty happy to admit being wrong on Colin Saunders so far this season. I felt like he was somebody that, given the way last season went, he was a a game day inactive, a healthy scratch a number of times. It looked like he was buried on this depth chart. And the Chiefs went out and added another player at his position in Jaron Reed. When that addition came, I thought for sure Saunders' days were, were numbered on this roster. 
but he's carved out a nice role for himself. If he's the backup to Derek Nadi, where Reed can play more of the three technique and Jones playing outside uh, and all, all of those guys able to move around and be versatile, I think Saunders is, is really starting to, to make a place and make a name for himself. He looks motivated. He looks, he looks like he's uh, uh, picked up the defense and is really elevating his game this season. Maybe he still doesn't get a ton of run when the regular season starts, uh, but he's a great depth player to have and somebody with still some upside. So, you know, I, I think Saunders is likely on this roster and has a place in this defense. And that's more, a lot more than what I would have said a few months ago. Yes. No, I'm with you. I, I, I was the exact same way when the Reed signing happened. The thing with Saunders is we know from when we drafted him, it's all about the athleticism, right? He could do the backflips and, and that's what made him a third round pick out of Western Illinois is that, you know, he was really a freak athlete for his size. But the, the thing about him is that he's also a very wide body. I mean, you see him, he's, he doesn't look like Turk Wharton. Turk is a, a pretty slim dude for, for his position. Colin is thick. So if you, it's kind of almost like a best of both worlds, his ceiling, at least, obviously, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not saying this is how he is, but you know, Wharton's that pass rushing specialist, Naughty's that run stopping specialist. Saunders, with that athleticism that we know he has, maybe he can kind of be a best of both worlds situation where he can be trusted to stuff the run like Naughty does, but also be a pass rushing situational guy that they can trust to get some pressure as well. So that's kind of the upside with Saunders is that he's not a one-dimensional player. He, he's he's got the size to hold up down there, but he's also got the juice to to win on a, a you know one v one rep with a guard and, and get pressure on the quarterback. Never forget he got linebacker reps in that uh, week seventeen <laughs> game as well. So Levon Kirkland Jr. <laughs> you know, yeah. Really good to see Saunders stepping in and and making a name for himself and having a, a good shot at this roster. Turk Wharton, yeah, he looks like the real deal. Now, Wharton was more of an edge player in college that sort of bulked up to play inside in the, in the pros. And so he's got some juice. He's so active. He's so He just lives in the backfield. And, man, he, he's going to be a fun player to watch this season. And maybe he gets a lot of those single-team reps with Jones and Clark and Reed on the field. Wharton could eat in that role where he's sort of the forgotten man on the defensive line. Exactly. Cause in those situations, the tackle is going to be helping his, uh, you know, blocking his guy, obviously if it's Jones or Reed on the other defensive tackle, you, you bet your butt that the center is going to go help with him instead of Wharton. And yeah, that, that just leaves Wharton one-on-one with a guy and, and he's got the moves, you know, he's not just a, not just athletic man. He, he's very technical and, and really, he has one a particular move where he jab steps one way and just so quickly comes back the other way that just a little tiny shift from the lineman's legs, like all of a sudden he's off balance because Wharton is just so quick around the edge. So, yeah, but let's move on and talk about the, some safeties because I know safety is a hot topic right now, especially with our guy Juan Thornhill. As, as we kind of mentioned earlier, he's gotten in practice and, and, and he's played, you know, he's, he's not the first team safety, you know, Sorensen has taken those reps and, and actually on Monday, he dropped all the way down and, you know, just in rotational, as we've been saying, you know, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a rotational thing, but he did take some third team reps. That's just, you know, a, a guy like that we think can make an impact like that probably shouldn't be on a third team defense ever. But, you know, like we said, it, they're just mixing and matching kind of stuff. Devon Key and Armani Watts are, are kind of in that mix to, to, you know, fight for that fourth and fifth safety spot. If they do keep five, they'll probably keep four, uh, depending on what happens. But yeah, I just I, I just want to make sure that we 
give Juan some credit because I know he had one ugly play on Saturday where he kind of fell down in coverage on the tight end and he was wide open. I still think he made other good plays though, too. I, I think he, I, I saw him look good coming up and making tackles. He was very quick to the ball in some instances. And so that's what I like to see. You know, I, I, he's still coming back a little bit and I just don't want to overreact to, to his preseason performance and, and this third string stuff. Cause I still think he could be a really good player for this defense and he kind of needs to be, I mean, if, if, if they don't have a, what we thought we, they were going to have in Thornhill, that's a, that's a big hole in this defense all of a sudden. Yeah, he's really the only true center fielder, as they say, on the roster, right? He's the free safety that can, that with the range to play deep. The rest of the roster has versatile guys. There's, there's safeties that can play all over the field, but there's nobody that you would say is a true free safety like Thornhill when he's playing at his best. You know, I will say you're right. I, he did look physical. He looked very unafraid to come up and lay a hit on somebody. And I think that's a hallmark of the Spagnuolo defense, right, is you've got physical uh, corners and safeties. And that's something I did notice early and often on Saturday night, not just from Thornhill, but across the board. Those defensive backs were unafraid to hit people, and they were uh, really rallying to the ball, especially in, in the run game. And so not just Thornhill, but – but I thought there were several others that really made some plays, you know, coming, like you said, coming downhill, coming towards the ball. Yeah, I think you could say the same about Devin Key. I think he was making tackles in that sense. I think he made a few tackles that, you know, he wasn't afraid to come in and hit. But obviously with Key, as, as everyone saw, you know, he, he let the big touchdown go, just did not, you know, have the right angle on it, just did not have, you know, the right coverage on it. He just kind of bit a little too hard on the route and couldn't recover man. And, and it was a good throw. We got to give credit to Trey Lance. That was a good throw. He put it where it needed to be. I do think though, that if Matthew, if someone like Matthew was in the game, I think it might've been a pick because he might've stayed on top of that a little bit, although he may not have thrown it in that sense. So it, that wasn't a good look for key, but I did think he came back and, and showed why they kind of like him. You know, he, he's not afraid to tackle. He kind of can move around the defense and, and play in the box, but also on top. And so I, I, I do think, you know, I, I, I like, I like that they're giving Key a lot of opportunity because I like how they, they want to get, you know, the most out of the undrafted free agents and see if they can find another gem because they've found plenty of gems. And, and, you know, every year it seems like they get some guy that, you know, whether it be Wharton or Pringle or, or Sorensen back in the day. But uh, he just, you know, I, I think there's other there's better options on the team. I don't think he should be penetrating for playing time when the regular season comes. And I think that that might be the big takeaway here is, once again, this is preseason. Let's not overreact to – what we're seeing in camp practices or preseason games. And maybe Devin Key is a guy who is potentially going to make the roster or the practice squad, but he's going to be pretty low on the depth chart when the season comes up. And Thornhill might just be somebody that they're taking it easy with, that yeah. they already know what they have, and he'll get a little bit less run until the until the games actually count. So I, I think we should maybe pump the brakes on the Devin Key hype just a little bit. Uh, and same with Armani Watts, you know, he, he, he had an interception. Yes. Everybody noted that was probably the, the easiest interception he'll get this season or probably his entire career. Uh, I still think Watts is on the bubble with that very last safety spot and, and somebody like key could still take that job. Uh, even if Watts records an interception and, and key is shown getting beat deep again, it's preseason. It's one game. It's one play really for each of them. And one play for Thornhill that looks bad. So don't read too much into one play on yeah. any of these guys. I think the depth chart is probably still what we thought it was. Yeah, I'd, I, I'd say Devin Key is, 
I mean, if you're talking about what the roster would be right now, like he is on the roster. So that's, that's kind of important to note. Like he's, he's not just fighting for it. Like he is on the roster as of right now, he's that fourth safety in terms of how they've handled him throughout the entire camp. And I think Watts injury has kind of held him back a little bit, but so now maybe Watts has a chance to kind of earn that spot back. Um, and, and they still could keep Watts as a fifth safety, obviously. So speaking of safeties, I, I know we kind of both noticed that veteran Will Parks, he was, he was flying around the field, man. I, I like what I saw from him. I'm surprised he's not someone that's kind of getting more opportunity because if you're talking win now mode, he seems like a guy that is versatile. We've already, we've already known that we've talked about that all off season, but man, he was flying to the ball. Like he, he didn't look like a, an older player, you know, compared to these young guys. He, he was actually moving probably better than, than I saw some of the other defensive backs move in terms of getting to the ball, making tackles and stuff. So I, I like what I saw from Will Parks too. He was my pick for the fourth safety as um, as the preseason started or as the offseason started. He's had a really quiet camp so far, but but yeah, I mean he's a physical player and he's versatile. He fits the mold of what they're looking for. So it'll be interesting to see how the bottom of that roster shapes out on the safety position. What about the linebackers? Though I think we finally saw, with the absence of Willie Gay, you saw a little bit of. Anthony Hitchens, who slimmed down and, and was a little bit quicker, along with Nick Bolton, the rookie, getting in there uh, early in this game. Uh, how'd you like the linebacker play? Yeah, Hitchens stood out to me on one particular play. Although I do think uh, the the couple run stuffs or tackles he made in the run game, I think there were a couple times he he just read the run quick and 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 got to the hole really quick, which is good to see. But there was a particular jet sweep that actually looked like it could have gone uh, for a bigger gain. Uh, Neiman and Snead, I believe, the players out there that got blocked. And so there was, there was actually a lane a little bit. But Hitchens got over there really quick, um, a lot quicker than I have noticed in years past. And we do know that he's lost weight this offseason. He has noted that. He has uh, made that public. He's talked about that as being a focus point for him this offseason. You know, maybe that weight loss is kind of what he just needed to get gain that extra step to the sideline because that's, that's always been my main gripe with the linebackers on the, the the chiefs have had is just outside runs or outside passes or just quick hitting stuff to the flats. They just can't get there in time. There's just too much speed on, on opposing offenses in today's league to have linebackers that can't have that sideline to sideline range. And that's why it's intriguing to have Willie Gay and Nick Bolton, because they should have a better range in that respect, but hitch, you know, that, that weight loss might've helped him in that respect. And if that's the case, man, you know, that, he had a good year last year. It might've been his best year as a chief. You know, if he just continues to get better, man, that, that could be that could all of a sudden the linebacker court could be kind of a, you know, a strong group to, to rely on a little bit. You've got young players with the speed to get where they're going. They don't always know where to go. And you've got Hitchens with who knows exactly where to go and didn't always have the speed to get there. So uh, hopefully both uh, pieces of that equation get better this season. I think Willie Gay Jr. looks like a guy uh, back in practice uh, healthy again today that is starting to know what he's doing and he's got just electric speed uh, to get there and to make plays. So I'm really excited to see the linebackers this year. I'm still skeptical that we'll see a ton from Nick Bolton, but, but it's good to see him getting plenty of run in these preseason games, but an improved Hitchens and an improved Willie Gay Jr. already makes that group look uh, light years ahead of where they were in the past. Yeah, I liked what I saw from Bolton, too. I, I, I think he was just, like, quick to his run assignment, and he was, you know, it seemed like he was aggressive, taking on blocks a few times. Um, I, I, I do know one, one play, he bit on play action so hard that he actually still met the fullback in the hole and didn't realize it was a pass until 
you know, after he came out of that collision and he had a, he had a hook zone where he had to drop back. But the, the, the thing I noticed was how quick he got back to his zone. He was, he's hauled ass to get back uh, up into his hook zone. So that's good to see too, that, you know, he's, he recognized and is quick to where he needs to get, but uh, you know, he's a rookie. He's going to fall for play action like that sometimes. And, and that's how it goes. Well, let's talk a little bit about offense, um, the wide receiver position. We saw Byron Pringle get out there and get the first touchdown on a really nicely run route where he just embarrassed the defensive back and got wide open. I don't know how many, how much we can read into that, but I think a big criticism of the depth of the wide receiver position in the past has been they can't get open. And you, we've seen too many times with if if Travis Kelsey or Tyreek Hill are covered, then Mahomes is back there looking for somebody to throw it to. And, and literally none of these guys are getting open. So if Pringle's putting in the work on route running, that's a small sample of maybe what it looks like. If a guy knows how to run routes and can get open quick, that was a really nice, uh, really nice to see from Pringle in a limited role there. Yeah. Speaking of weight loss, uh, Byron also lost a, a few pounds. I know we've, we've talked about it a little bit, but, uh, I do think, you know, in terms of being a little quicker, maybe a little more uh, create separation a little better, you know, that could help, you know, not having the the seven more pounds of, of, of mass you had to, you know, maybe slow you down that, that little second or whatever. So yeah, that, that maybe that was a focus point of his is getting a little quicker and, and faster while we're talking about receivers though. I do want to talk about McColl a little bit. I know it's just one target and stuff, but it seemed to be the same issues that we've kind of talked about with him. It seemed like he didn't expect the pass to come from to come to him. And it was a contested pass. You know, it wouldn't have been an easy catch. There was a guy right on him and stuff. But it just I, – I hate to see that. I really did not want to see McColl have that kind of miscommunication thing, although we don't know for sure if that's what it was or however it goes. But it just seemed like he didn't expect the ball to be there. And Mahomes threw it to him pretty quick. So either one of them, you know, one of them just was off a little bit, I guess. But I just – I want to – I want to <laughs> see McColl – and Mahomes be on, on the pay, same page once the regular season starts. And that just wasn't, you know, it didn't make me feel better seeing that play. Yeah. It, if, if I recall correctly, it was third and four and he was running the crossing pattern, which you have to expect is the ball's probably coming your way. Like that is a, that's exactly. a, that's a classic move the chains type of a route combination. And, and, you know, I, when I watched it live, my first thought was that the defensive back was, had grabbed his hands a little bit, prior to the to the pass getting there and so he was he couldn't get his hands up in time and so I don't totally blame him for for that part of it for not being able to make the catch but it was frustrating to see I don't think he was running full speed uh, on that route like he should have and I think that's the the one thing at this point that's probably unforgivable for McColl is don't give up on a route don't slow up as Mahomes yelled in practice last year, so notably, keep running. You got to keep running, McColl. So, uh, one one snap, we shouldn't beat him up too much about it. But that that was not how you wanted to see his one target go in, in that game. Yeah, that's all I'm getting at is is that you know, if it was that one target, you you wish it would have been just a little cleaner and just you know, then we wouldn't even talk about it. it wouldn't have been a thing at all. But uh, you know, it, it's going to happen. Uh, you know, it's the first it's the first third down play of the entire preseason. And, you know, there could have just been some, a little uh, off page a little bit, but um, I do think we'll, we'll save the rest of the receivers for uh, a little later. Uh, how about that? So yeah, let's go let's right talk. to special teams because 
there's really a tie-in here between the receivers and the return game. And we saw Mike Hughes, the cornerback, actually get some run with both punt and kick returns, and he looked fantastic doing it. Yeah, he had a kick return that went, what, 30-plus yards, and and he he barreled through. He actually kind of ran over his own blocker. I can't remember who it was now. But, uh, yeah, he, he kind of barreled through a defender to get uh, past the 30-yard line. And then also that punt that he – the punt return he had, I think it was the second punt of the game. He, he looked pretty shifty, man. And there's a reason he had three return touchdowns in his last year at college. Uh, you know, he, he knows how to do it. He has experience in that. And so that could affect – how they think about McColl, you know, if McColl needs to have a, a bigger offensive role, similar, you know, and obviously not what Tyreek Hill did back in the day, but, you know, they did, you know, Tyreek doesn't return punts or kicks anymore unless they, they have a, a certain situation. And so maybe they start to kind of make that McColl's kind of thing as well as, as, hey, you know, let's focus on receiver and you'll go back there at return when we kind of need an X factor type of play. But if we have other guys that can do it, and the thing with Hughes is you're not just, you know, throwing it to someone else to do it. It seemed like he had some big playability with the ball in his hand. So you're not really, maybe you're not losing as much uh, with Hughes, you know, instead of just some random guy. So McColl doesn't have to return it. You're actually, you know, you're kind of still good in that sense. Just to uh, not punt on the rest of the special teams, uh, Tommy Townsend hit probably one of the best kicks we've seen in years with that 66 yarder that rolled out a bounds at the one yard line. That was a fantastic punt, and it's nice to see him recovering from whatever happened to him in the Super Bowl and coming out in year two uh, stronger than ever. So a good week out of Townsend and uh, maybe an up-and-down week from his uh, his kicking partner, though, in Butker. Yeah, he missed another extra point, and, you know, we don't want to freak out too much as, as it is preseason, but these kickers, you know, they're they're – taking it as a regular season game there's no reason for them not to you know they're getting geared up and so it is it is a little discouraging I will just say though I'm and I said this on uh, Jay Binkley's show on Sunday you know he still made a 52 yard field goal and a 46 yarder as well he almost made a 62 yarder um, that was just a few feet short man if he can make long field goals like that where you know maybe the offense can get it going for a few plays, but then just get shut out around midfield and, and you still need points. I mean, if you can trust Bucker to do that, I'll take him being shaky at extra points because it is one point compared to three. And the other part of this is, I you know, the offense could maybe go for two more and maybe, you know, take a pressure off him a little bit. I don't know if that would actually take the pressure off him, but I just think I, I don't really care too much about the extra point problem, which – you know, obviously, it, once it comes back to bite us in the butt, you know, in a, in a late game situation, it's going to obviously be a big deal. But I'd rather have a guy shaky at those and really good at 50 yard plus yard field goals than the other way around, to be honest with you. Yeah, a 50 yard field goal turns a punt situation into points. Missing an extra point, you still just put six on the board. I get that. And and I do think that the, this Chiefs team, as balanced as they are, as explosive as they are on both sides of the ball, Maybe they won't have as many close games as they've had in the past, and maybe it won't come back to bite them as much. It really goes back a couple of years when they moved the extra points back a little bit. All of a sudden, it's not an absolute gimme anymore. So one thing, one little thing goes wrong in the mechanics or in the hold or in the snap, and you could see more misses on that. So so maybe it's it's a little bit of a league-wide phenomenon. I, I've seen the 49ers kicker missed an uh, extra point in this game as well. So it is – not just him, and it's probably not catastrophic for this team, 
but you're right. We'll change our tune the minute that it costs the team a game or, <laughs> or especially God forbid a playoff game. Oh, I was going to say, let's, let's go ahead and, and go back to our, our probably the first segment we did on this podcast when we started was let's talk about who's on the bubble with bubble watch 2021. Is there anybody new that you can add to the bubble based on what you've seen this week? Well, they, they've both been on the bubble. Uh, the running back three battle is heating up for sure. Now that Darwin is back from COVID. So they're both on the bubble, but Darwin is definitely more on the bubble now than, than Jarek. I think Jarek McKinnon, he was my offensive player of the game in my instant analysis. I know not a lot of offensive players even got opportunities, so it's not like we had a lot to choose from. Um, but I, I think what he did with his reps and, and kind of showing his vision, there was one run where, man, he really, he really deciphered the box of the defense and really found the lanes and, and made it a 10-yard run. It was, it was an impressive rep. And so Jarek kind of showed his thing and, Darwin had ran hard too and, and had a few good plays as well. He just had that penalty, which, you know, I know I, I don't really care if, uh, if you like act like that, I guess he kind of just got up in the guy's face a little bit. Maybe it was kind of a weak call maybe, but at the same time, you know, it's a preseason game. You're fighting for a spot. I just think you got to have a little more discipline to not do that. And you know, Andy takes that stuff into consideration. So especially knowing that, You'd like to see Darwin just be a little more disciplined and not get his team a 15-yard penalty. The league is focusing on taunting this year, for better or for worse. I think probably for worse, it's it's pretty safe to say. So, yeah, I think you should know that going into this game. You certainly know it now. But Darwin was really on the bubble before, right? And, And I think the reason this is a bubble watch factor is how many running backs do they keep? If they keep four then both of these guys are on the roster and it's a moot point. But with the evolution of the other players on this roster, they might not be able to keep four running backs. And all of a sudden you probably can only keep one of McKinnon or Darwin and McKinnon clearly made his case uh, on Saturday and it's not quite as clear on Darwin. So I think, I think that might be the deciding factor is, is actually this next position group that I wanted to talk about that, whether or not the Chiefs can keep four tight ends really comes down to how they treat the tight end position. I'm sorry, four running backs comes back to how they treat the tight end position. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, go ahead. ahead. Well, yeah, uh, they kept four tight ends last year, we got to remember. And so the four tight ends kind of looking like this year, Travis Kelsey, Noah Gray, Blake Bell, and then Jody Fortson, the new tight end. And so how this kind of factors in, though, to the running back group, not only does it factor into the running back group, I should say also the fullback group. You know, if they want to keep three running backs, six receivers, ten linemen, all that, they're going to need to – if they want to keep four tight ends, it, it would have to be Burton that, that would, would leave the roster. And maybe they think they can do that because maybe Blake Bell can, can have that role. You know, Blake Bell actually was the leading blocker on that counter run the second play of the game in a off-ball kind of H-back alignment, which, you know, that's a, traditionally the fullback runs that uh, blocking pattern. So, yeah, I, I think it is important to, to know that Blake Bell's blocking ability, if, if they think he can kind of just be the fullback when they need a fullback, although at the same time, you know, you still want a second tight end. If you have a fullback and two tight ends, you still want, you know, a, a second guy, a tight end blocker-wise, and, and maybe Noah Gray can be that. But, yeah, it, it is interesting. I, I, I the Jody Fortson stuff is, is kind of hard to ignore just because of the Ricky Seals-Jones thing last year. You know, they kind of want a guy like that, apparently, and Jody's kind of the, 
seems to be, in my opinion, maybe a better version of what uh, Ricky Steele's Jones was last year. So I feel like every year we do this, we try to say, oh, they don't need to carry a fullback. Any old tight end can be a fullback and, and they can save a roster spot. And every year Andy Reid carries a fullback. And when I saw Burton on the field this week, I thought, man, he looks an awful lot like Anthony Sherman. He's not quite the same build, but they're using him in the exact same way. I think there's a role for a fullback, even if they – and I, when I said four running backs, I meant four halfbacks plus a fullback. I don't yeah. think there's any way that they go to three running backs and no fullback uh, on this roster. I think that that's uh, leaner than they like to go in a position where guys get beat up. So I'd be absolutely floored if they only kept three running backs and no fullbacks. So it's either going to be three running backs plus a fullback plus, you know, three or four tight ends, or maybe they don't need a fullback, but they're still going to have uh, four running backs on the roster. I think one way or the other just depends on how you count the fullback. So how likely is it that bell is actually the guy that, that has the, the roster spot, bubble you know i mean how how likely is it that he's the one that might be the odd man out and because maybe they they believe in gray's but we've heard some good things about gray's blocking we have heard in camp that gray has looked good in blocking situations and hey maybe they really want a playmaker at that tight end three and maybe they're able to they're willing to sacrifice a little uh, blocking ability at tight end three and maybe if they need a third tight end and goal line situations to really actually block you know you 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 have a guy like, well, I guess Burton would probably be in the game at that, at that point. You know, if it's a single back formation, I guess you have Burton as a tight end. We're, like we're they've had ourselves in and out of it as we speak here. But, yeah, <laughs> if you look at the tight end position last year, they carried Ricky Seals-Jones as that fourth tight end all season long for no apparent reason because they, <laughs> they were intent on not using him. And I think he dropped the one target he got, if I remember correctly. So – you can make a case that they're going to carry the three tight ends and they'll carry Fortson as the new Ricky Seals Jones. But I, I could see it going both directions. Fortson, maybe we're a little too high on. We're having a lot of fun watching him in camp, but I, I think I threw some water on it last week. I'm going to do it again this week. He's a guy that is um, making some waves in camp, but may not make the final roster. So Fortson's on the bubble already. But I think Bell is the one who's most affected by Fortson uh, making the roster or not. If they feel like they can get the blocking from someone else, maybe we should put Blake Bell on the on the bubble here to here and now today, and see until we see how this thing plays out a little bit. I don't I don't know about Michael Burton. I, I don't think he's somebody that's going to be that's going to be cut. Uh, I think they're going to carry that traditional fullback. Personally, Blake Bell's blocking was on full display on Saturday. And it has been in camp and he's done some really good things in that regard. And so it's really just a matter of can Gray and Fortson block well enough that they decide a blocking tight end is not as important um, or, you know, as you mentioned, can Bell take Burton's fullback job, you know, and, and do both. So I, I'm not sure exactly where they're going to land on that, but I think it's pretty safe to put uh, at least Bell on the bubble along with Fordson until we see how this plays out. So, yeah. And one thing we got to remember too, is, is we have some young tackles and I know Brown is experienced, but Niang is a rookie first couple weeks and actually first three weeks, you're playing some pretty good edge rushers. I know the Ravens have lost their veteran guys. They still have Justin Houston, which 
But, you know, Chargers have Joey Bosa, Browns have Miles Garrett. You know, I, if I'm the Browns, I'm, I'm throwing Garrett on L- Lucas Niang's side, right? I mean, why wouldn't you? Um, and so that's when you want Bell. That's when you, maybe you need Bell to kind of just stay in and be a, a guy that always chips Garrett whenever they need a, an extra second, you know, in pass protection. And maybe they just don't trust Gray to do that right away. So that is maybe where his value is, is, is the most used. But maybe, you know, as the season progresses, if, if Gray can prove himself more, maybe then we see some sort of movement on the tight end. You know, I don't know. Well, is Jordy or Jody Fortson could probably still make the practice squad, right? Like he's not going to get poached, I don't think. He could. Um, so that's going to be a controversial statement amongst Chiefs fans. I mean, I think, I think Chiefs Twitter right now is going to just explode with this argument that Fortson would be the first guy claimed uh, in if he got cut to head to the practice squad. Uh, I'm with you. I, I think there's a pretty good chance he gets cut, and I'm pretty good chance that it's going to freak people out because they think he's going to get claimed, but then he'll end up on the practice squad and he'll get a call up at some point in the season. I think that's what's going to happen. But, you know, I'm, I'm open to the idea that they could go a different direction. Yeah. Now, the tight end spot is, is way too interesting for, you know, having the best tight end in the league. You know, that much discussion behind it is it's kind of funny. But uh, another veteran that we're kind of, you know, thinking about maybe needs to be on the bubble. Uh, the more we see this defensive line show out, you know, Alex Okafor, if he's going to keep getting hurt and guys like Tim Ward are going to look good in the limited snaps they get, you know, we've only seen him in a preseason game and a de facto preseason game in terms of the week 17 game last year. Although I guess he was going against starters. The Chargers did have the starters out there. But if you keep if you want to keep Tim Ward, that's seven defensive ends. And you if you include Chris Jones, that's 11 total defensive linemen with all the guys we've kind of talked about they're not probably going to keep that many. You don't need to, especially if, if you have so many versatile pieces, that kind of is the whole point is that you don't need as many guys when you can have guys play different positions. And so that's where I kind of think, you know, if they really want Tim Ward around and, and, and want him contributing at, at the low part of the depth chart, maybe they can trust guys like Dana and Taco Charlton to step up. And so they don't need a, a veteran like Okafor to eat up snaps. Yeah. That's an interesting one. Considering he was a late addition to the roster, you would think, that they brought him in for a reason and a veteran like him is not the same as cutting an undrafted free agent. We all assume that Oakford was soundly on this roster, but yeah, the, the better I see Mike Dana play, the more I think that that's the guy who would eat in Oakford snaps more than anybody else. Oakford not taking Frank Clark snaps. Chris Jones on the edge is going to be Chris Jones on the edge. Mike Dana's uh, evolution. And then as you said, Tim Ward, we're also Taco Charlton. We haven't talked much about him lately. So I, I think Okafor is on the bubble, long story short. And I think maybe Taco Charlton could be as well. And when these young guys start to show out, you need a roster spot for those guys. And I could easily see it being a, a shuffle where they keep, you know, an extra defensive end or two on the initial 53-man roster. And then they make a transaction, something like putting Okafor on IR. Uh, if you wait until after the 53-man roster is set, Okafor could go on IR and be uh, brought back, you know, in, in a, a shorter period of time, and it wouldn't end his season. And so maybe that's the way they they shuffle this thing as they they keep one of the, one or two of these extra uh, defensive ends, the young players, um, and then cut Okafor or, or put Okafor on IR instead of cutting him, so that you can keep everybody in house and, and let it sort itself out as the season goes along. 
Yeah, that's where they got to play a little, uh, like a little puzzle. You know, they got to find which position, you know, which guy they could they could cut somewhere else that they know they could get back. You know, maybe they don't think they could get back in Okafor, like you're saying, and you know, just straight up cutting him, that kind of thing. So, yeah, yeah but maybe it's, a Devin Key or uh, Will Parks or you know, one of these guys, they could uh, even like a Dorian O'Daniel, if if he's you know in the hunt. These are players that are maybe not known very much outside of Kansas City that you could uh, play that 54th man on the roster game with and, and, and shuffle things up uh, before and after the, the final roster is set. But I think it's pretty fair. We're, we're putting Okafor on the bubble. Uh, and, and I think Taco Charlton might be on notice as well. The more you see out of uh, Mike Dana and even Josh Kando and some of these other guys and Tim Ward, the, the more you might think that there's more of a youth movement at defensive end than we thought. Well, yeah, Taco can't play, man. I mean, you know, he he hasn't he's been hurt most of camp. Uh, he came in kind of he came in early with with the uh, quarterbacks and rookies because he was still uh, nursing that, that ankle injury he suffered last year, and and he missed the first preseason game because of an injury. Uh, so it is kind of concerning a little bit. And if he just continues not to be able to play, yeah, maybe maybe that's how they do it. Maybe they keep Okafor. And they were able to keep Tim Moore because Taco was the odd man out, you know. I, and it kind of it, it 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 goes to show you that they have a lot of depth that they're able to kind of, you know, maybe cut ties with someone that feels like a, a contributor. But it, it's a good problem to have, I guess, is what I'm saying. But I would I would hope I would hope somehow they're able to keep all three of the guys we've just mentioned around Tim Ward, Alex Okafor, Taco Charlton, in some capacity, whether Tim Ward's on the practice squad or Okafor's just on the IR. That's probably the most ideal situation. You bet. And, and finally, let's talk wide receivers before we get out of here. We've talked a lot about that last wide receiver job. We got some clarity today with Antonio Callaway's release. If you went by what we saw in training camp up until Saturday, you would say that's Marcus Kemp's job. Checkmark done. That's the wide receiver depth chart. But all of a sudden, you had a couple extra guys getting some reps in this game and, and leading the team and receiving. Uh, and maybe there's a competition here that we hadn't thought about. Maybe somebody is going to be on the bubble in a positive way now. Yeah, Darius Fountain uh, led the team in all receiving categories, was heavily targeted by uh, both Henny and Gordon and, uh, honestly, all three backup quarterbacks. So, yeah, it, it, he, he showed off some abilities, kind of a bigger body type. He, he got a, a back shoulder pass. He, he positioned himself well in that one, so good to see that. Marcus Kemp had a, a tough catch over the middle too. He just didn't get as many opportunities as Fountain, but I think Marcus still had a, a good game for what he does. And he was on first team special teams, which is always something to imp- important to note at this stage. You know, whoever's on that first wave of special teams, and it's hard to see from the broadcast angle, but you kind of just see who ran down there on that kickoff. But uh, yeah, I, I think I think Kemp still has it has a stronghold on that last receiver spot. Cornell Powell is a guy that you just have to kind of assume no matter how he's looking, no matter how many opportunities he gets, they're not going to cut him this year. You know, they're not going to cut a fifth round pick, you know, this first year. So he's that fifth receiver. So it really is all these guys fighting for a sixth spot if they keep six receivers, which I think they will. And so, yeah, Kemp, I think it still has a stronghold on it, but guys like Darius Shepard, who's played in the NFL before he's played for the Packers, you know, he's, he's got some juices or a returner too. He didn't get much time on Saturday, but yeah, it, it, there is a, a, there is a healthy competition for Kemp right now. And, and I didn't even mention Garrick Dieter, but that's a whole nother story. I think, <laughs> I think he's, uh, if he, I wouldn't, I, I'm not going to bet on him not making the practice squad. Uh, but 
I just I, I'd like to see other receivers kind of get an opportunity over him. So we're adding Fountain and Shepard both to the bubble in a positive way. These are players that we hadn't talked much about prior to now, but both have uh, very different abilities. Fountain, uh, everybody noted, uh, looked like Dwayne Bow out there with the number 82 on the <laughs> And Shepard, again, being a returner and a versatile player with some experience, you know, the returner field is going to be crowded with Hughes and Nicole and others, but Shepard is a guy that has enough ability to make the roster just as a returner, even if he's not used as a, as a receiver as much. So both of those guys are probably in the conversation now for Marcus Kemp's uh, presumed sixth wide receiver job. I do think they keep six. Uh, yes, Garrett Dieters can never be counted out for whatever reason. Uh, so keep an eye on that battle as we go forward. There's definitely some options there. As you can see, we learned a little bit this week, um, but there's still a lot of things that are unanswered, a lot of things up for debate. I guess that's what's fun and frustrating about preseason football and training camp football when it comes to Kansas City Chiefs. There's a little bit that we know. There's a lot we don't know. And we'll learn more and more as the weeks go on. Uh, but thanks for spending your time with us today. And be sure to rate and review the Out of Structure podcast and all of the other Arrowhead Pride podcast network shows uh, from Matt Stagner and Ron Cobb Jr. Uh, thanks again. We will talk to you next week with more Out of Structure podcast.